Welcome to Cedarville University's online chapel. It's Good Friday. It's a day that we're closed here on campus. There's really nothing going on. Except in this world, we still have the opportunity to do a virtual chapel. So today, I want to talk to you from 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Because I think at a time like this, we can all use some good news. Perhaps you're there and you're worried and you're wondering, what happens? What's going to take place in this world? Anxiety, stress, uncertainty. Perhaps some of you are actually struggling with what happens when I die. What, what will take place if I were to get the coronavirus and no longer live? There's all sorts of uncertainty right now. So we look to the one thing that provides us sure words and sure certainty because the Bible is God's word which does not fade as the grass and the flowers do as the seasons go. The Bible is the word that stands forever. And today, I want to talk to you about some prophesied things that were hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago in the Old Testament prophesied that would take place. And those things have occurred and it brings us great joy and great hope. Today is called Good Friday. You might be wondering, why in the world is it called Good Friday? Certainly, when the day happened, if you had talked to Mary or John or others, they wouldn't have thought at the moment it was a Good Friday. But looking back historically, we can see because of Sunday, because of the resurrection, that this is a Good Friday. And I want to explain to all of us, reminding us all of why this is good news in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's the main idea of our text this morning. This is good news. Jesus has conquered sin and death. That's the reason we have hope. It's the reason we don't despair, even though the walls may seem to be falling down all around us, even though we may not know exactly what happens. We, of all people, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, have hope. If you don't have that hope this morning, then I hope you'll listen closely as we walk through this text. I'm going to focus in on verses 3 through 5, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. As we look at verses 3 through 5, there's a parallel statement that actually shows up here. That indicates it, that Christ died. You'll see that parallel statement in that he was raised. It says he died for our sins. We'll dig into that. It says he was raised on the third day. Both of these parallel statements say in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. The first statement says that he was buried. That's your proof of the fact that he actually died. He was buried. You don't bury live people. You bury dead people. He died and he was buried. And then the proof that he was raised on the third day is that he appeared. He appeared to Peter or Cephas, and then he appeared to others, to the 12, to the 500, and to Paul as one of the last of these. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, beginning in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, join with me as I read the text. Open up to your devices so you can look at the text there. We'll walk through this text. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, this is great for all of us. Those of us that are believers, why do we walk through a text that clearly explains to us the gospel again? It's to remind us. It's to remind us in those days when our heart, when our flesh flee away from the things we know and hold dear to be true. We say, no, 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 remember Remember my sinful flesh that I have hope. Remember as I start to despair and start to worry that this life is not my home. I'm a pilgrim passing through. So let me remind you this morning, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. This is how we stand. 
and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. We're not going to go into that this morning. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas or Peter, then to the twelve. Dear Lord, as we look at Your Word today, would You just help us to understand it clearly? Would Your Spirit bring it alive in our souls? Would You comfort us? For those that may not know You, would You convict Would you draw to salvation, Lord, as we look at the truths of your gospel for your name's sake? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to look here at our first point. Our first point is substitutionary atonement. Look look with me in verse 3 at what it says. A few preliminary matters before we get into that parallel statement. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I received. So I would note to you he delivered what he had received. Paul here is stating to us in 1 Corinthians that he is not an innovator, he is not an inventor, he is not the originator. All he is is a good delivery person. So at this time, in this season, perhaps you're using DoorDash or something of that nature, Uber Eats, to deliver food to you. Uh, Perhaps you've ordered a pizza and you want that pizza delivered to you. All that our job is as believers is not to get creative or inventive. We don't want the person delivering the food from the restaurant to our homes to mess with it in any way. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Don't open it up. Don't rearrange it. Don't don't try to invent something new about it. Just deliver it. Deliver what you have received. And that's the command for us. We don't need to try to make the gospel more acceptable to others. We don't do our theology based off of opinion polls. We have God's sure word that has been given to us. We trust what God has revealed to us about himself. And we are merely deliverers of that which we have received through the Holy Spirit, through the words that he has given to us as God has revealed himself to us. For I delivered to you as a first importance. Now, what does that word first importance mean? It can go two different ways. It can mean that it's the very first thing you do, or it can mean that it's the most important thing that you do. I think as we look at Paul's life, we see that he probably intended both of those. When Paul would go into a town, what's the first thing he would do? He would go to a gathering and he would preach the gospel. He would find where the Jews were gathered in the synagogue where there was a gathering of people who were religiously motivated and he would preach the gospel. Let me explain to you, brothers, what the gospel really is. The Messiah that you believe, the Messiah has come. The prophesied one, he he has come and he has died for our sins and he has risen from the grave. And this is a truth that you can believe in. He did it first, but he also did it most importantly. And I would submit to you that this should be most important in all of our lives. This is what's most important on this campus at Cedarville University, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is alive, and that makes all the difference in everything that we do. I delivered what I received. It was of first importance. And then we move into a discussion of that first parallel statement, that Christ died for our sins. Christ, not Jesus. Why didn't he say Jesus died for our sins? Paul understands that the Old Testament prophecies mention the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. There's there's importance and meaning in the fact that he's saying Christ, the Christ, the one you've been looking for, the one that has been talked about, the one that was revealed even all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 with the seed of the woman, the proto-evangelium, that first expression of the good news that we had sinned and we had fallen, but good news is coming. 
They're looking to a Messiah. They're looking to a greater Moses. They're looking for a greater David. They're looking for what the Old Testament is saying to us. This is not it. This is not the yearly sacrifices. But there is one that comes. There is one who will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that Lamb of God is the Christ. That Christ is Jesus. And here Paul says, it's the Christ. And the Christ died for our sins. Now the fact that the Christ, the creator, the one who was in the beginning, the one who was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the one who spoke all things into existence, the Christ, the fact he died for my sin and died for your sin is scandalous. The all-powerful, the creator, looks to the creation that has rebelled against him, and instead of squashing them with his power, he comes and humbles himself, taking on the form of a man, being in a man like them, fully man and fully God, so that he could be our greater kinsman redeemer and die in my place and for my sake so that I could be reconciled to my creator. This is a scandalous truth. This is the good news that we need to have today. This is why it is a good Friday. He died. He literally died. If somebody tries to tell you that he just swooned on the cross or that they faked this, or it's ludicrous. You can't keep secrets. We know from scandals, you can't keep things secrets. Jesus didn't pass out. The Romans were very good at knowing how to kill people. They put him on a cross in a horrible death and crucified him, and he died, and they buried him. It says here that he died. It says he died for our sins. Now, this is important. That word for is the word huper. This preposition in the Greek is used 149 times in the New Testament. This preposition can carry with it a dual meaning. We can't make too much out of this, but it can carry with it a dual meaning, meaning that he died in my place and for my sake. And to that, you say, well, which one is it? And I say, yes, it is both. He died in my place. There is a substitutionary aspect to the atonement of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just merely a good example. He didn't die on a cross just to influence me morally. He didn't die on a cross to show me the greatest love of all, even though it is the greatest love of all, even though it does influence me to love others more. He died on the cross for this reason. He died for my sin. In Adam and Eve, they rebelled in the Garden of Eden. They rebelled against the God who had created them. They ate of the one tree he said, don't eat of, deceived by the serpent of old, the father of lies. And thus starts it all. From that sin, Every human being, including myself, from that point forward, including all of you, sinned and rebelled and affirmed Adam's actions with our own actions as we rebelled against the God that has created us. And yet the scandalous truth is that Jesus came and he died for my sin and in my place. There was a penalty that had to be paid in order for God to be the just and righteous judge of the universe. And God couldn't just say, oh, I forgive it. Oh, it's no big deal. There was a penalty that had to be paid. That penalty was paid by God's own son. John 3, 16. 
For so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you're there right now and you're wondering, with all of the uncertainty, does God really love me? The answer is a resounding yes. He sent his son to die for your sin and for my sin. This is a great truth that we cannot overlook. Christ died for our sin. He did this according to the scriptures. In what scriptures? Paul doesn't tell us exactly what he has in mind, but I have a few of them that maybe he did. Maybe Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, which says, "They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." We know from the New Testament that this happened. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled that they would cast the lots for the garment. They did not. They did not rip it in half. Psalm thirty-four, twenty. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. I'm going to come back to that truth there. You look at Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We know that this happened from Scripture. The the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us this information. And and the reason it's so important is you you know your Old Testament. You read your Old Testament, and it says this is what's going to happen. You come to your New Testament, and this is what's happened. God keeps his promises. He says this is what's going to take place. And the truth is it takes place. Isaiah 53, 12, He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He was crucified with two thieves on a cross. We see this. Zechariah 12, 10. When they looked on me, on whom they have pierced. Now think about this truth that's in John chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. Since the day of preparation, it says in the scriptures, and so the body would not remain on the cross for the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews and Pilate asked that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came around and broke the legs of the first. And they broke the legs of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. So instead of breaking his legs, the soldier took his spear and pierced his side. And at once there, blood and water came out. He who saw it has borne witness. This testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. You want an eyewitness testimony? Here's what we're reading is an eyewitness testimony. He knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. If your faith is shaky this morning, if you're wondering about the truth of the gospel, this in John is written so that you may believe. If you are lost and somebody has sent this to you or you're watching and you just happen to run across it and you're not a believer or follower of Jesus Christ, these words in the Gospel of John have been written so that you may believe in the Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ who died for your sin so that you could be forgiven. For these things took place that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Note what John says. He knew it. He knew his Old Testament. He knew the prophecies we had read about so that it might be fulfilled. Which ones he quotes here? Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, quoting here, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried. I can't help but think about the song which says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? 
Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon that tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in. When Christ the mighty maker died, for man the creature sin. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. Oh, if you are listening, if you are watching, and you have that burden of your own sinfulness, you have that, that emptiness that you are still trying to fill with something, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, may I say to you, look to the cross. Look to the Savior, Jesus, who died for your sins. No greater love has this than somebody lays down his life for another. And God, the mighty maker, laid down his life for me, the sinner's sin. By faith in believing what Jesus has done, by calling out upon his name and asking him to forgive you of your sins, you can be reconciled to your creator. You can be saved from the hell that is to come. We see another parallel statement here as well. It is a supernatural resurrection. It's Friday. It's the day that we focus on the death of Christ on the cross, but there is a Sunday that is coming. And pastors all across this country, this Sunday, with churches empty, will proclaim a tomb that is empty. Here is our parallel statement. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared. Let's look at some of these things. He was raised. There's a verb shift in the tense that we see here. This is perfect passive. It's not aorist, which is what it has been. Now, why does that matter? Why am I pointing that out to you? It's because this means this is a past action that has ongoing, continuing consequences. So all of a sudden, Paul, in his writing, intentionally, I would assume, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would have to, to know that he writes in a different verb tense. Christ was raised, and because he was raised, we don't worship a prophet that's in a tomb. We don't go to a burial ground to see where somebody's bones are laid. We have a risen Savior, a Savior that rose and ascended to the right hand of God the Father and sat down because His work was finished and He's coming again one day to make all things right. All the crazy things in this world that we can't make sense of, all the things that we look out and say, this does not seem to be right. He's coming again to make all of that stuff right. This is the Jesus that we worship. He was raised. It's a past action, but oh, does it have continuing consequences on all of creation and on my life, and if you are a believer and a follower, upon yours as well. It says that he was raised on the third day. You remember back to your Gospels. If you've read your Bible, if you studied your Bible, you remember back to the Gospels in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 where they were wanting a sign. Jesus, give us a sign. Jesus, show us your power. It's kind of like we do the same thing today. Write it in the clouds. Send me a text message. Put out a fleece. Give me this or that. I want to know. And Jesus says to them, there will be no sign but the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah 
was that he would be in the belly of a great fish three days and then he was spit back up. That's an, they didn't understand it at the time. We understand it now looking back though that that's part of what this is talking about. Why include he was raised on the third day? Why this detail in a very short summary? It's because there was no sign but the sign of Jonah. You remember also in John chapter 2 verse 19 where they're talking and he says the temple would be destroyed but he would build it again in three days. He was talking about the temple of his body, but they didn't understand what he was talking about. No way, you can't rebuild the temple in three days. In three days, again, we see here, Jesus' words go forth and they come true. We can trust what God says because God is a promise keeper. God is the one who cannot lie. We should not believe the lies of the devil the one who deceives us, the one who seeks to destroy us, we should believe the Father who is truthful and honest and only gives good gifts. And we should be discerning people in this life to see the difference through the conviction of the Holy Spirit testifying to our hearts. This is true. To live our lives then for the gospel of Jesus Christ and not the lies of the evil one. It also says in verse 5 here that he appeared. This is proof that he was raised. You think about the disciples. You think about Peter. You think about the story here. And I love the fact that the Gospels and the Scripture, it tells us about all of the bad things that happened, not just, not just the good. It doesn't paint them as perfect. So you think about Peter who had denied Christ and denied Christ and denied Christ. And yet Peter sees the resurrected Lord. He sees him after he has been raised from the dead. And then Peter preaches and thousands are saved. The conviction of the truth of the resurrection of Christ. Dear friends... If you're there and you're, you're just wondering, is it really true? It is true. We have the sure word of God, but I also have a changed life myself where I can testify to you that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see the gospel is the truth. And that is why this is the good Friday. The Friday when the maker died for the sinner's sin. He was raised. I think about Thomas, the disciple who's there, questioning, doubting everything, like many of us. Oh, I'll not believe. I will not believe unless I can put my hands in his side, unless I can put my fingers in the holes. And then Jesus appears. Jesus appears to him and says, Here, oh, you doubt. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you are in despair, locking yourselves away in a room, wondering what in the world is going to happen in the future. Here is the proof and the truth. Thomas falls down on his knees and he says, My Lord and my God, he gives worship to the one true God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm not the God. He accepts the worship from Thomas because Thomas knows he has seen the resurrected Christ. We have a sure testimony that he was raised. It says he was raised according to the scriptures. I don't know exactly what scriptures he may have had in mind, but perhaps he had Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. The righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous. We are accounted righteous, not because of our works, not because of anything we've done, because we have rebelled against the creator, but we are made righteous because of what Christ has done. That's that substitutionary portion of his death. 
so that Christ took on my sin and my unrighteousness, paid the penalty for that, so that then by grace through faith, I could take upon his righteousness, be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, so that even though I still continue to mess up repeatedly, even though I continue to flee away from my creator, my righteousness is found in that I'm covered in Christ, and that God now looking down doesn't see the evil, wicked, rebellious person. He sees the Savior who has covered my sin with his blood. He sees the Savior that I am in Christ now and I am forgiven because of what Christ has done. Many who will be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Substitutionary atonement. He paid the price for my sin. He bore my iniquities. He died for our sins so that we could be saved. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Perhaps he had in mind Psalm 16:10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. The Holy One. They took him off the cross. They laid him into a grave. They put him into that tomb, a borrowed tomb. They rolled the stone in front of the tomb, but the stone didn't stay there and Jesus didn't stay there either. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away so that he would leave. They rolled away the stone so that we could see that he is risen just as he said he was. The angels were there. The earthquake took place. Think about those days with the uncertainty all around what happens, what's going to take place. And here they learn of a risen Savior who has done exactly what he has said he will do. And in our time, in our uncertain days where we don't know the future, we know that there's a Jesus who says he is going to prepare a place for us and he will come again. And if it weren't true, he would have told us, but there is an eternity where he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be made right. And that is our great hope. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the hope we cling to that even if this life fades away and everybody vanishes, even if this world just falls apart, we have an eternity with Jesus Christ to look forward to. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the hope of the gospel. It's the good news that makes today Good Friday. We think about the application of this. The application of this is this. Could be many more. The resurrection is confirmation that Jesus is who he said he was. Is Jesus really God? Yes. What do you do with a risen Christ? What do you do with the fact that the disciples, all except John on the island of Patmos to write the book of Revelation, gave their lives as martyrs for their faith? They lived as men on mission because they knew that Jesus had died for their sins and was raised and was coming again, and it changed everything. Jesus' resurrection confirms he was who he said he was. He never said he was a good man. He never said he was merely a prophet. He said he was God. He accepted worship. He said he would die on a cross. He said he would rise from the grave. And he did. It confirms who Jesus said he was. It confirms that God accepted the sacrifice. God was pleased with his son, his beloved son, in whom I am well pleased Jesus asking, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass by me. And the cup did not pass by him. Yet the Father poured out his wrath upon Jesus on the cross and then raised him. He was raised. The Father, in a Trinitarian way, raised Jesus from the grave. It confirms to us what this chapter ultimately is about. If you read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, If there is no resurrection, then we of all people are foolish. 
Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And many live as though that is the truth. But I'm here to tell you today that the truth is that Jesus was resurrected. And because He was resurrected as the first, so we will one day be resurrected. And this is why we don't fear death. This is why I'm not afraid to die for the Lord that I love. Because I know there's a resurrection coming. I know that this earth is not my home. I know that everything is not right. I know that I am a pilgrim passing through. I know that my life on this earth is to be lived for His glory ultimately and there there is something much greater that lies ahead in the future so I don't get downtrodden I don't get depressed I don't get stressed out I don't get anxious because I look to Jesus who's already conquered it all and he keeps his promises and he's told us there's a greater day coming that's the Jesus that we look to and this is why we don't fear death and this is what our hope lies in this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ This is the good news that we as believers need to share with the world desperately looking for good news right now. S.M. Lockridge, great, great preacher. He did a thing called It's it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Some others have taken this and done variations of it. I've done my own variation of it as well. Think back to what was happening. Jesus in the garden praying. Peter sleeping. Judas out betraying. Then the guards come seizing. The disciples begin scattering. Concern is abounding. Oh, but Sunday is coming. Caiaphas and the council are conspiring. Peter's busy denying. Pilate is contemplating. The crowd is vilifying. The verdict is condemning. Oh, but Sunday is coming. It's Friday. They robe my Jesus in scarlet. They crown my Jesus with thorns. They mock my Jesus with words. Disbelief is surrounding. But they don't know that Sunday is coming. It's Friday. Do you see him there on the road to Calvary? Jesus walking the cross. He is carrying his body. It is stumbling His sweat and His blood, they are dripping. Golgotha, the hill, is nearing. But Sunday is still coming. It's Friday. And we all look around and think the devil is winning. The Pharisees are celebrating. Death is approaching. But Sunday is still coming. It's Friday. The soldiers nail His hands. The soldiers nail His feet. The soldiers stand his cross. The soldiers cast their lot. But tick tock, Sunday's still coming. It's Friday. The Father is forsaking my penalty. Jesus is paying for my sin. Jesus is atoning. The Lamb of the world, they are slaying. Jesus begins speaking. It is finished. The sky begins darkening. The earth begins quaking. The veil begins tearing. And Sunday, oh, it's still coming. It's Friday. Hope is faint. Death has come. The sun has set. Has the devil won? Jesus is buried. But it's only Friday. And let me tell you, Sunday's coming. 
It's Saturday, and the disciples are hiding, the followers are mourning, the Roman soldiers are guarding, the angels, though, are anticipating. Well, because they know that Sunday is coming. It's Sunday. The stone is rolling. The soldiers are falling. Mary is seeing. Peter is running. Jesus is missing. Because, oh, my friend, let me tell you, it's Sunday. It's the day we look forward to this coming Sunday. Herod couldn't kill him. Satan couldn't conquer him. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. Jesus is risen. Praise God that Sunday is still coming. And today, on this Friday, we look forward to the Sunday, to the resurrection day, and that's what we're declaring, that Jesus is still living. Beside the Father, He's still sitting. Sinners, He's still saving. The church is still proclaiming His kingdom is coming. And we must keep telling others about the glorious Sunday and the King that is coming. God is faithful, and you can trust Him.